0: Good evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris. And I'm Simon Sandspring.
1: Welcome. What a beautiful sunny weekend, first day of spring. And you've spent all weekend binge watching, Simon. Well, not the latest Netflix special.
0: Um, I was trying to play with my camera. Um, light there, but it's just made me look even worse. Um, so um, yes, um, yeah, I, I've I've spent the entire weekend going over and over the the full council meeting because that's an exciting thing to do, is to try to find a way to squeeze a six and a half hour meeting into like fifty five minutes. But I guess it's easier than yes, doing an with, eleven hour meeting into fifty five minutes.
1: Yeah, with discussion. Yeah, and no, I, I I I was um, chatting with one of the councillors in the week about uh, the hustings and delighted to report that uh, councillor ben swan has stuck his hand up for Copner and said he'd be delighted to come to the hustings but uh, yeah i spoke to him on wednesday and he was he was a very happy man to have uh, to have been home by midnight on the day of a full council meeting i should imagine that was an unexpected joy a, a rare a rare treat i think uh, i think for for all of our local councillors so the last uh the last big event before uh before may the 5th and the elections so indeed may may the, fifth, covered... may
0: the 5th be with you be is with
1: yeah it. yeah well, been a very important day may the 5th obviously but better be uh, be for 20... you yes yes 28 yeah 27 years this year so uh, yeah, wedding anniversary. So uh, yes, a, a, a double whammy, both wedding anniversary and uh, and local elections. What more could you ask for? So uh, so, without further ado, Simon, because there was plenty on the agenda, you're gonna you're gonna sort of give us a whistle stop tour of some of the more simple bits, and then we'll dive into the the meatier morsels as well as um, analysing, you know, were these genuine. Requests, or were they simply a delicious setup to allow for leaflet fodder and more trees perishing in the interests of uh, May the fifth?
0: Political parties campaigning in the last full council before a local election—god forbid. Well,
1: wouldn't happen here. Um, Absolutely but, not. But uh, interestingly, this week did happen up the A27 with our uh, old or new friends in in Havant, where. Uh, where Labour snuck a cheeky amendment onto a onto a bill, which the Conservatives then voted down, and the headlines appeared the next day. Yeah, beautifully orchestrated, and the, the leaflet presses were rolling at that point. So um, let, let's see whether whether Portsmouth can keep the moral high ground, but I fear not.
0: Let, let's indeed see. So, um, so the first thing that I wanted to comment on was actually um, was item eight on the agenda oh the, the the chimes the chimes are calling um so uh, and that was an update on uh, planning development um and management and increased um capacity um so uh this is this this is a response to a um a, a cabinet um decision in in february uh, to use uh 45,000 pound of corporate contingency fund to increase capacity in that department um it's been mentioned a couple of times in in uh, full council mm. meetings before um about the concerns of uh, delays in getting planning applications through um and indeed um and indeed what um councillor uh Brent um who uh, brings who who basically brings a, a, a brings a comment to this is a, is about um you know th- effectively that there are there are nine out of fourteen wards in the city that are not meeting the statutory time frame for um for issuing um planning applications. Um and that means that um, you know, for example in Baffin's a hundred and seventy four day wait for a decision. Um there was a bit of a weigh in from um um from, from all directions really, but the but the the Conservatives were quite um were quite uh, vocal about this, Councillor Stubbs pointing out that it, the majority of these decisions are actually about minor changes, i.e., extensions or changes of use, mm. uh, rather than kind of larger developments like the wholesale redevelopment of Commercial Road or the what used to be the Trocon Centre. Um, and Councillor Smythe uh, from the Labour Group uh, stating that you know this is bad for our economy and the impression of Portsmouth City Council as an efficient and effective council. Um, and yeah, basically. I, I, you know, Hugh Mason, um, the uh, Lib Dem councillor, um, reported that the department's six pe- people short, it is moving forward, um, and um, and Gerald Vernon Jackson, the leader, was saying that this kind of happens in other areas. But I think the thing that kind of came out at the end of that was Simon Bosher the leader of the Conservative group, pointed, reminding the council group that... Um, the, at the end of these um, these stats, there's there's actually a you know there's a household where they're waiting to you know redevelop their house, so they're having to rent and pay a mortgage at the same time. Uh, was the example that he he brought up that I think he's brought up to full council before. So there's, there's a person at the end of this process. Um, I think is kind of the key thing.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is one of those ones. It's quite an emotive subject because I think often when people think planning applications, they think about you know, housing developments and HMOs and new builds and, you know, developers. And and at that point, people have, you know, relatively limited sympathy. Um, But, you know, when it's about somebody potentially, you know, extending up into the loft space or, you know, putting an extension on the back of their house to, to save them from having to move, you know, 174-day wait. You know, that's that's six months just to get the green light. You know, so you, you you know you think about that. You know, somebody naively who's thinking about now, oh, do you know what? I think now might be the right time to do it. Well, you know, you put the planning application in this week. You know, with those lead times, you're not going to get a decision till September, and obviously, getting your house knocked about in the uh in the winter time it's not something most people queue up for
0: um no indeed and kind of the um and it's interesting because we come later we talk about um the local plan which is effectively the council trying to find um their way to submit um to make a submission a submission to the government to say basically the seventeen thousand seven hundred houses over the next 15 years um that the council's meant to find space for um, it's still well a good finding space for them, but if you can't actually get planning permission granted for them, none of them are mm. ever going to actually get built. Um, and if you're, th- yeah, and if you're thinking about areas of the city that really are in desperate need of regeneration, it, it, if you can't kind of get the small things done, and efficiently and effectively done, what hope is there for the really complex, large projects that you know the sort of ambitious projects that you'd hope to to be seeing from? Uh, from the council now that it's the um, now that it's the property owner in um, uh, Down Commercial Road or, or the Tricorn, so mm. it, it it's a key thing. On one hand, it does, yeah. Initially, it might kind of seem like, well, who cares about developers, bar, but on the other hand, actually, it's the little guy that's that's suffering the most, and the regeneration is sitting.
1: And that's where, for me, you know, and again, I do have some sympathy in the you know backlog caused by COVID difficult to recruit you know planners into the into the role but but ultimately you know with a lot of these planning applications it is a rubber stamp exercise and you know there's a part of me that says if you were pragmatic you know you know the the major estates and the roads in Portsmouth where you've granted extensions and loft spaces and in the past you know that there's there's part of me that says you know, a couple of weeks with a sifting through the lift with a rubber stamp and just going yeah, 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 and clearing out all of the stuff that you know to be noise. And I'm sure that anybody with a council planning background would be aghast at this. Oh no, we've got to go through them in detail line by line. But realistically, this as you as you mentioned, this one has been kicking about now for far too long, and and no real solution seems in sight. 45,000 pounds sounds like a chunk of money, but if you're the person who's if you're the uh, somebody with the right qualifications and you know you're in demand, 45,000 pounds doesn't buy you for very long, does it? Um, well, no, I mean, also, you know, if they're
0: and um, it's interesting that, um, although um, Councillor Hugh Mason. Um, pointed out about the systems thinking review. So the review of the processes to make uh, to make them less onerous, to make them um, more simplified Um, and the concerns about kind of IT, the numerous kind of different types of IT that need to be used. And it's all well and good doing that review. And that's great. And that's fantastic. And yes, there have been all of these issues about, um, uh, you know, to do with COVID, to do with the nitrates issue recently. So there's kind of some historic build up, but it was Scott Peter Harris that built up that the reviews all, all well and good. But if you can't actually keep the staff, you're not going to make a difference. So recruitment and retention is kind of really important. Is that a leadership yeah. issue? Is that a culture issue? What What is that that means that the council can't hang on to staff in that that key, really, really important area and that the council had tried outsourcing um, this? So that also kind of speaks to one of the other motions, that, one of the motions that we were yeah. going to talk about. Um, the council tried outsourcing this to a highly recommended um, organisation. Um, and i think the technical term is they stuffed that up um and yeah uh, so in that respect that didn't actually help so but you know are they the only
1: contractor that can do it i doubt it you you've got to think not haven't you and that's where that's where and as you say we'll get on to it but but again the, the, you know one of the joys and somebody who historically has worked in procurement you know when you outsource something you've got to be very careful about the question that you ask of the the team that you're outsourcing to because if all you're saying is actually we'd like you to follow all the same onerous complicated and you know uh, really kind of tedious processes that you follow internally well your outsourcer is going to be no faster than you and isn't going to have the knowledge and the expertise so it's probably going to be slower you know if you ask the question of can you check these and make sure no laws are being broken you know, then, then if they know what they're doing from a legislation perspective, then you'd hope they could be a bit quicker. You'd hope. You'd hope. Well, um, uh, well,
0: the interesting thing was that um, was that the administration committed to um thought it was a good idea um to keep giving um to give up continue to give updates on where each ward kind was in their um applications yep. or their applications backlog. Uh, but it was interesting that that they admitted to actually say how frequent those updates would be. Right. Um, so regular oh, updates will be a good <laughs> idea. What's your definition of regular? Yeah, uh,
1: one, one, once every six months.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah. So that was that one. Um, the next one we wanted to swing on, swing in on, was a health and well-being strategy. Now I wanted to talk about this one briefly because I've got a clip from Kirsty Mellor's objection um to this uh to this statement so with um because of the rules of how the council works um so that's their constitution and their standing orders items that are just a report back to the council aren't actually subject to a vote um or a debate yep um so members only actually get to debate it if they object to it so right so even even if they actually patently agree with the report being produced they can only have a conversation if someone actually objects to it and that's the point um that uh, councillor mella makes um in in her so let's um let's listen to um, what she had to say uh uh, about this one and then kind of talk through this one a a little bit um because that's there's a there's a a quick kind of rundown of, of that one but i think it's an interesting one when we think of the later motion where we talk about um where we talk about a constitutional review thank you
2: lord no. Mayor, um, just... to be absolutely clear we are objecting in order to speak um, and no matter how carefully people choose their words sometimes they can always be twisted so I'm making that clear that we are in full support of the health and well-being strategy however um, we feel it's important to highlight that as a local authority we do not have an up-to-date poverty strategy instead we've opted to tackle poverty in our health and well-being strategy Uh, social deprivation a cause of ill health and with the absence of a poverty strategy it would be more difficult to implement the health and well-being strategy. Uh, Poverty is rarely the result of a single circumstance and often arises from numerous factors um, and that does impact on the health and well-being of our residents. We must not lose sight um, of the fact that social deprivation and the cost of living crisis is severely damaging our communities.
0: So so a very very important point there um, to be made that unless she'd taken an opportunity to use that mechanism, she wouldn't have had a chance um, mm. to to make uh, to make that statement uh, about actually the the you know the the effect on health um, health and well being of of poverty. Um, and then um, so the cabinet member responsible for well being and social care is uh, Jason Vizacoli. Um And his response was he's happy to speak to um, other colleagues to look at addressing uh, the concerns that Councillor Mellor uh, raised Um, but then council leader Gerald Vernon Jackson pointed out that there is a poverty strategy um, that was um, produced in November 2020 and then Councillor Mellor's um, retort to that was that having spoken to officers they weren't they didn't seem to actually be aware of it so hold that thought about doing something and not knowing it's actually been done and it not actually being reviewed because that, Mm. that, that comes up again.
1: This is one of the dangers, isn't it, of a strategy document, you know, strategy documents in themselves are, you know, it's actually quite easy to write, you know, it's on those things where, you know, the number of times I've written my own strategy document about, getting fit and losing weight and it was so much easier to to write the document than it ever was to cut down on all the things that are bad and increase all the things that are good
0: yeah yeah and and would like writing a process it's easy to define a well it's not easy but you don't know I mean you can define a process yeah, yeah. but unless someone continually reviews it it over time entropy ensues people complicate things people stop following the process or they change things because there are changes you know different different circumstances mean that things have to change uh, and alter and the work instructions or the processes don't evolve um to cater for that and again that that kind of speaks to the later motion about constitutional review Mm. um so the you know the number of times you and i have um sat through our summaries of full council meetings and we're not sitting through them for for 11 12 hours like the people sat in the room are although to be fair it feels like I have by the time I've watched watched them and kind of made notes but it, it it's interesting the number of times that process and the the rules of how the council does its business does actually come up so it sounds it might sound like a um, quite an academic conversation um, but actually, it's quite fundamental to the way things get done. Mm.
1: Um, so, yeah, that would perhaps be more fund- fundamental as to whether they do get done, isn't it? Um, well, yes, uh, and
0: uh, we, we, uh, I guess we'll kind of come to that uh, a bit later on. But mm. there's a, you know, what's the is the way we're doing things the way that we're supposed to do them, and is the departure from how we're supposed to do them and to the way that we're doing them now is that. Is that an OK departure, i.e. is there a compliance issue about that departure? Or does it just mean that the rules need updating to reflect common current practice? Um, And that's Mm. something um, that's raised later on, for example, of our constitution doesn't allow any reference to digital meetings and how to hold them or isn't specific about how votes um, are um, held within within, uh, council groups. So there's, there's some interesting but really actually quite fine points and fine details in there. Um, that were raised in something that maybe that's just me being sad but they are actually quite important and intrinsic issues about how the council runs how it's democratically accountable to the people that elect it and how it demonstrates that it's doing things and it's doing things in the right way.
1: Well and I I think on this point it doesn't it go even deeper than that which is you know I'd ask the question of what uses a poverty strategy that nobody knows exists
0: yes what, what what value is that the whole point of surely spending all of those hours creating a strategy is that it's a living document that it's something you use um
1: yeah and 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 you you measure yourself against and say well okay that this is this is where we want to get to this is where we are now and these are the things that we want to change to get there and then that sort of periodic well how are we doing against that otherwise what you've got is you know somebody somewhere has been paid a chunk of money to craft a, a very well-meaning document that sits in a virtual filing cabinet somewhere um yeah it, indeed um but do hold that thought
0: because it, it I shall retain we, it we return to it so the next one I
1: wanted to talk about was Solent freeports um which oh big shout out to tony Restall who uh we uh regularly <laughs> I, I i wouldn't want to say that tony's got a bit of an obsession about this but um he is uh he, he's he's very keen on the topic of free ports he is so um so he'd, he'd be delighted to know that, that this was uh on the agenda In, indeed um
0: and and hopefully we do it justice by covering it so the deadline for submission for the business case for the Solent Freeport um, to the government is April the 15th. So all of yep. the council groups involved effectively need to kind of pass um, that work. If the um, if the Freeport business case is, um, is approved, then effectively Solent Freeport exists as an entity um, and it has certain customs and tax powers for 25 years. Um, now, that's quite a good thing for Portsmouth City Council as the owner of Portsmouth International Port, uh, yep. which is a proposed uh, custom site and we're all the Portsmouth City Council are also the owner and developer of Dunsbury Park in Haven um, a proposed tax site um, so both of those within the proposed solar freeport so just to get some jargon out of the way um, tax sites are uh, basically places where businesses operating in tax sites have enhanced capital allowances structures and buildings allowances and stamp and land land tax duty benefits as well as employers ni contribution relief and business rate relief um, and customs sites have simplified customs procedures uh, allowing for duty exemption uh, deferred duty duty inversion and vat deferral now, what's duty inversion, I hear you say? Um, that's where the duty on something being imported into the country is higher than the duty paid on the finished product that's made from it, if that was imported. Yep. Right. So um, what custom sites allow you to do is effectively have a bonded warehouse where goods can come into um, that area for later um, use in manufacturer and then for um, future export. Or, ju- or just kind of future exports. So um, Councillor Bosher, um, for the leader of the Conservatives, points out that Haven't um, and Marchman in Southampton are also affected and there's uh, £220 million worth of benefits to the private sector um, and predictions of creating 28,000 jobs. So immense opportunities, but all of the councils need to improve, approve this. If one of them says no, basically the whole thing falls on its arse. Um, yep. Uh, but um there's quite often some uh, some impression that free ports are basically a you know singapore on the sea kind of um no no environmental um, regulation, no uh, no employee, employment legislation, etc. Uh, but Councillor Smythe from the Labour Group uh, points out um, that there's misunderstandings about freeports and that some people um, think companies operating in them are exempt from employment laws and, ex- and um, you know, steps to move towards zero carbon, etc. Um, but freeports don't exempt operators from good practice, terms, no. conditions and minimum wage or implementing environmental policies. Um it starts to get a bit more political when Councillor Atkins goes a little bit off on one saying that this is only possible because we left the EU. Um, But then other people respond to him enough that he, you know, you're shaking your heads. Okay. Well, okay. So we might've been able to do it when we were in the EU, but we didn't do it. So he kind of makes the nun makes his own point, which bless him. Um, And, uh, but, Council Leader Gerald Vernon Jackson um, closes on basically it's not a silver bullet, um, but it is um, it is a great opportunity and it needs to be looked at. Yeah. Um, but to remember that the last free port in the UK was actually closed by the Conservative government in 2012, um, and although they do have a reputation of creating low wages in, for example, warehousing jobs. Uh, we wouldn't need to have been doing this if we'd not chosen to leave the customs union. So um, there was a bit of a revisit of the, of a hint of the Brexit argument um, in this debate. Yeah. But uh, but essentially, everyone seems to think, oh, the idea of having loads of investment in the city and therefore allowing lots of growth and and hopefully high paid jobs and also therefore high rents for properties that the council owns and runs. What's not to like? Thanks very much, please.
1: Yeah, and I, I think this is where sometimes you know there is this this kind of and and free ports exist all over the world, and and there are good and bad examples of both. And I think there is an element where, you know, if you look at the, you know, if you look at the, if you look at it through the the optimistic end of the telescope, you know, this investment will bring jobs and will bring new businesses to Portsmouth and there's always the yeah well it's just a warehousing thing isn't it well no not all not always because you you talked about inversion there which is important because you know if you're going to bring in a raw material and process it to be a finished good then you've got to do something transformative to it and that's a manufacturing job you know and that brings engineering and quality and manufacturing as well as warehousing so you know there is an element of you know I, I think that this is a this is an excellent opportunity. I do struggle with it a little bit, um, you know, because if I go back many years, I, I did, you know, I, I did some work within a free port, but that was in Dubai. Now the Dubai free port uh, is enormous, um, and that's because fundamentally they had an awful lot of open space, a bleak desert, in which to, you know, you know, you want air traffic we'll just build 10 runways you want sea traffic right we'll we'll build another set of docks and you want to throw up some new buildings how many do you want how big do you want them because we've got all this space which Portsmouth clearly doesn't have Um, but there is an opportunity there um, and I think it's one we should exploit I think the only what what could be a potential fly in the ointment is that the, I believe that DP World, who are the parent company to PO, actually have a seat on the board yes. of Solent Freeport. Um, and I saw something from the Portsmouth Labour Party who, following P&O's disgraceful treatment of their 800 workers who they, uh, they, they, dismissed this week um you know is is challenging whether that should be the case so as you say with a tight timeline for april the 15th that there, there is a slight worry that um that yeah. that could derail the whole thing
0: well yeah are, are they the sort of organization that we want to get into bed with um metaphorically speaking um bearing in mind that's how they treat their workforce if part of the argument and rationale for this is the jobs um if they're going to treat their workers so poorly, that doesn't sound like such a great or secure or sustainable benefit, does it?
1: No, it doesn't. And I think there is this element of, you know, again, I'm not an, em- neither of us are employment lawyers, but at first glance, what P&O has done seems to me to be completely illegal. You know, we talk about protection for workers. You can't just sack people well, you can't. Well, they haven't sacked them. They've made them redundant, and then, uh, from what I read today, are intending to rehire all of those shipbound staff from Colombia, um, and effectively, you know, they'll be on two pound an hour.
0: Yeah, um, it, it's it's not good, but it, it's it, it's it's why kind of. It's why the detail on these things are important, as well as a strategic plan. And it's also it's yeah. important to have an eye of the sort of companies and organisations that you're having a relationship with, um, which is also yeah. a theme that comes up later on in um, in one of the question, the members' questions, the urgent question from Simon Bosher about the council's contract with Gazprom to provide
1: gas for the council. Yeah, so, I mean, let's keep our fingers crossed, because I think ultimately look you know decent well-paying jobs manufacturing jobs in and around portsmouth i, I i've got a big thumbs up for that so um you know it, it, that's that's the positive end you know others will say oh, it's low tax and okay maybe but I, I i generally think this is this is an opportunity that i i, I hope we maximize OK, so a bit more of a kind of swift on from a couple of
0: things. Um, motion, um, Sorry, item 13, not on the motion, we didn't get to the motions yet, um, was about the carbon budget method- methodology. Um, so that's a response from the uh, cabinet member re- responsible. So that's uh, Kimberly Barrett to, uh, I think, a previous uh, question from uh, Simon Boccia about basically what is the council doing about its net zero targets? Um, lots of love in the council chamber for the good things that are in the report and it's showing how much work there is and lots of appreciation um, for the officer that had been taken on to uh, lead this work and, and to develop this work who's got the, basically by the sounds of it, fantastic expertise um, and innovative qualities um, in this area to be able to help uh, drive this along um, and the work that, um, that, um that, cabinet member uh, Kimberly Barrett has done was much appreciated from members across the cha- across the chamber um what Simon Bocher's um response um uh, was just his kind of closing um um retort was about um the, you know this is great because this is what we're doing but what about um what about what we're doing you know what we're going to be doing now what's the next thing um uh, to which uh, Councillor Barrett um, pointed out that, well, this is a report because of what you asked for. What we'll be um, discussing um, at a meeting later in the week um, is actually about what the new ideas are and what the kind of things are going forward. Uh, but one of the things uh, Councillor uh, Bosher pointed out was, you know, don't forget the... Contribution to the uh, decarbonisation of using the voice scooters. So quite a conversi- con- yep. controversial um, thing within the city. Um, then, you know there are concerns about accidents with them, but if it's getting people to not get in a car and basically zip up and down um, like a like a like a ninja um, with a backpack, um, then um, then that's all for the good. If that's a, that's a car off the road. Um, but Councillor Barrett also pointed that one of the things she reported, which was very interesting and uh, pleasing to hear, was that Portsmouth secured £16.2 million of the £67 million government funding, um, To which means that, that uh, so that's a huge chunk of it coming to Portsmouth. Um, and that means that um, households using the switched on Portsmouth scheme will be able to secure up to £25,000 uh, per home in energy efficiency measures. So again, if we're talking about cost of living, if we're talking about um, yep. climate change, that's driving down bills, that's driving down uh, carbon emissions. Um, so that's that's a that's a really good uh, a really good news story and, and something hopefully we can watch. And I see that uh, Councillor Barrett has um ha- has repeated her um, her glowing praise for the officer concerned, um in the in the comments there. So good evening, uh, Kimberley.
1: Yeah, and I, I think one of these things is very interesting, isn't it? At the moment, there's a lot of, you know, th- th- there's a lot of kind of tension between taking the medicine and, and the cure. So, you know, when we start thinking about the sort of green issues and, you know, as you say, you know, there's a lot of kind of grumpiness about the voice scooters, you know, but there's an element of, well, for every, you know, let, let's presume that, Everyone taking a voice scooter isn't, you know, isn't running a petrol engine vehicle, you know. That is a good thing. So I, I think, you know, we're. I think as a as a society, it's one of the things we're really struggling with at the moment. Is that that tension between, you know, wanting to make the change, but the change being a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, um, and I think there's all
0: sorts of. Uh, we could get into the depths of the. the well, I forget what it's called, but basically the, the 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 drivers of change. You need to you need to be able to envisage that a change is possible and that a change is needed and that the current state is uncomfortable or unpalatable enough that it's worth you mm. that it's worth you changing. Um, but it, it was the way the conversation went in the chamber was, if I'm honest, a marked departure from the sorts of things that I've seen in political leaflets from certain parties in the past, which kind of sometimes seem to pit cycle uses against car drivers um so if this is signaling an end to that sort of hostility because we don't we we don't need to be enemies we share this space we share this damp island let's get on you know and let's kind of find ways to make it work so hopefully that's a that's a that's a glimmer of hope um so yes um so there was that one um the so we're getting to the motions the first motion um was, and we won't go into detail, which was the motion about basically um, getting de- more defibrillators um, set up and spread across the city. That's a Lib Dem motion um, proposed by Kimberly Barrett and seconded by um, Ian Holder from St. Thomas Ward. Um, they, uh, the Lib Dems agreed to subsume uh, the amendment from uh, councillors Bocher and Gosling, um, and that was passed unanimously.
1: Yeah, a- excellent thing. Uh, you know, very d- simple pieces of kit. Um, uh, and just make a huge difference in terms of saving lives. So I was glad to see that one race through.
0: Indeed. So the second uh, motion was uh, about the elections bill. Um, now this is um, the council. Um, basically, the Lib Dems brought, bring it bring into council to ask the council to make a, a statement to the effect of uh, saying that they don't agree with the changes that the uh, the government are proposing um, to election legislation. Um, and I've just got a little graphic here to I'll pop that up for the people following on the live stream. But in short, the the changes that the government are proposing are that. Voters by post. Um, they'll be able to register online. Vote, but um there'll be a limit to the postal vote registration to three years before they need to apply again. So it can't be a an end an, an, an open-ended um application. Yep. There'll be a limit to the number of postal ballots any one person can hand in other other than their own to two. So someone stumbling into a polling station with fifteen postal ballots in their arms, no. Um, and um, restricting um, who can hand in a postal ballot to a family member or a designated carer. So again, stopping that yep. being uh, being basically just any random jobby, and banning political parties and campaigners from handing completed postal votes and postal vote envelopes in, which seems an entirely sensible thing. I, I know that Some parties already have an internal policy where basically they just don't touch them because it's just not worth the aggro of being accused of fiddling them. Um, Gerrymandering. With regards to voting in person, requiring photo ID um, to vote. Um, And if the voter does not have a photo ID, then they can apply for one from the council for free online. Um, And similar to voting by post, proxy voting, limiting the number of people someone can be a proxy for to two Uh, Or four, if the voters are overseas, and allowing online applications. So, um, I have to be honest. This is one of those ones where, um, where there's a lot of emotion to it. So, shall we hear? Shall we have a clip from um, from how people um, how people feel about it? So, I'll try. Uh,
3: It's a really important thing for democracy that um, people uh, are able to vote. Um, uh, one of the, uh, and the vote easily. Uh, one of the reasons given um, for proposing this bill is, is uh, about fraud at elections, and yet actually the evidence um, in, in England is very, very low in terms of personation, but the effect potentially on people um, having to come to the polling station with either a passport or a um, uh, driving licence uh, we know will discourage lots of people from voting. So, I think we need to be making sure that um, we're not creating a bigger problem than the one that we're trying to solve. Uh, we know that those people who are on very low incomes um, don't have passports. They, they can't afford to go away. Um passports cost over 70 quid now to get. Um, and to say to people, you have to have a passport, uh, otherwise uh, you can't um, come and vote, uh, is going to discourage people from voting. Also, we never discourage people who are younger um, because uh, people don't have driving licences and therefore they're unable to to be able to have that as a piece of photo ID.
4: The one issue that I think may have slightly slipped off the 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 radar is the 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 way in which the government is seeking to direct the work of the Electoral Commission by the way it is wording uh, its um, legislation. So what I've asked to do is that we... um, agree right at the very end to, as I say, urge the government to reconsider those measures which seek to change the oversight of arrangements of the Commission and to maintain the Commission's current independence and its accountability to all parties. Um, there is obviously stuff about consultation, etc. but it's clearly trying to set conditions under which the Electoral Commission operates and the Commissioners are so concerned that they have written this open letter which is published on their website. Um, they say that um, it is our firm and shared view that the introduction of a strategy and policy statement enabling the government to guide the work of the Commission is inconsistent with the role that an independent electoral commission pays in a healthy democracy. This independence is fundamental to maintaining confidence and legitimacy in our electoral system. That view was echoed by um, the Public Administration and Constitutional, Pro- Constitutional Affairs Committee who produced a report just recently on the bill. And they also said that they thought that the government's uh, approach to this that they had failed to demonstrate that its proposed changes to the Electoral Commission are both, and I quote, necessary and proportionate and therefore risk undermining public confidence in the effective and independent regulation of the electoral system. Um, What they're doing here is effectively giving the um, regulated power over the regulator. The government insists they're not proposing to to really do anything terrible, and they're saying, "Oh well, all they want to do is," um, and I'll quote here: um, "They want to uh, set priorities on things like impartiality, accountability, value for money, proportionality, and consistency." Well, it's hardly likely that the electoral commission is going to go in for not uh, partiality, unaccountability, poor value for money, disproportionality, and lack of consistency. I mean, they're not going to do that. Um, So you have to wonder what is is going on here. Unfortunately, the government does have form, but in much more serious areas, as you can probably remember, um, the government sought to prorogue Parliament in 2019, and that was declared unlawful by the uh, Supreme Court.
5: Um, where he said that it's an attack on democracy, but so is uh, an, uh, uh, an opportunist person trying to vote twice. And uh, my understanding is that this bill um, actually proposes, and nobody's mentioned this, that it would have free ID provided for those who applied for it. So I don't think the idea of spending lots of money on a passport or a driving license really holds up when the bill is saying that it would have um, free ID made available. Now, everything I've seen in the bill says that it would ensure that it does not deter people to uh, to vote. And that free ID point is a, a really strong one that we, we we must make. Now, look, voter fraud is not widespread, uh, Lord Mayor, but it does happen. It does happen. And there have been cases where it's pretty industrial, um, often uh, orchestrated, I'm not sure if it came to fruition or not, by students online and uh, that's not to say you know before there's mock outrage not saying all students do that but it has happened and there are cases where students will you know live somewhere vote somewhere else um and i think if one person just one person um robs another of their opportunity to vote um through doing that then it makes uh, a mockery of the entire system now look we wouldn't claim outrage if we were asking somebody to produ- provide photo id to buy cigarettes and alcohol so why when it comes to uh, protecting our democracy? Um, what we really need, however, and Councillor Atkins touched on this, is uh, a view that makes uh, the whole system um, you know, better work for, for individuals. I think what we really do need is uh, a system which is easier uh, to secure the, the disabled people have uh, the opportunity to vote, uh, in particular those that are uh, visually impaired. The concern here is, of course, the cost. That's where I'm torn, I think. 180 million to do this is a a huge concern. So for me, it's a head versus heart uh, decision. This
0: is an interesting debate. I'm kind of like on the fence of it because um, I think the, the cost of it is not something that I would like to support. But I think some of my colleagues have made a good point to say that it doesn't happen is disingenuous and the point that i really wanted to raise is it has happened here in portsmouth it might not have happened in terms of uh people going to the polling station um and and pretending to be somebody else the voter coercion even last year lord mayor absolutely did happen and it was raised with the chief exec at the time and with the police etc and i can tell you now some of the people and the whistleblowers that came forward that said i'm being asked to sign over my vote via proxy forms
1: so, I got Robert New at the end. Yeah, I'm good. I'm I'm getting better with voices. Who who was third? Championing the visually impaired. Uh,
0: so, um, so that was Terry Norton.
1: Uh,
2: oh, so it was good. Uh, Gerald
0: Vernon Jackson, uh, the um, the leader of the council. Then Councillor Graham Heaney from the Labour Party. Then uh, councillors uh, Terry Norton and uh, Rob New from the Conservative group. So. So I mean, those are just a clip of some some of the some of the conversations that were there. But essentially, there was a bit of kind of to and fro. Uh, Councillor Atkins kind of also raised that um, the Electoral Commission's um, report saying that they do a survey and thirty percent of people are suspicious of the electoral process. But it's worth noting that that's just them being suspicious of it, not that there's any evidence of that anything to suspect. It's just that it's yeah. p- that's like people saying, "I think there's lots of crime, but there isn't." Um, but on the other hand, I'm also conscious that if we've got no way of checking who the identity of the person is that's rocking up to cast their ballot, how do we know if they're not being impersonated?
1: Well, and and, and I actually wrote a piece on this back in 2016 because there was a trial over in Gosport mm-hmm. where they there tried was. voter ID. Yeah. Um, and I wrote a piece for local news um, Star and Crescent. You know, my, my, my view on, on the photo ID piece is I actually think that the, the, I flip this on its head. The positive for me is about the ability to get free photo ID as part of this process, because increasingly there is a requirement for photo ID. You know, I, we, we get online deliveries and if you use amazon fresh the chap will ask me for photo id if he's delivering alcohol well i know i've got boyish good looks but i promise i'm over 18 but he still wants photo id now i'm lucky i've still got a a passport um that's in date but when that expires i won't be getting a new one um you know and, and the thing about young people you know i have a couple Um, In my children, who are of age, now they tell me it's not something I've indulged in in many years, that if you want to go into Prism or Liquid and Envy or Pop World, I believe these are all clubs, you have to present photo ID. Um, You know, they want to scan your photo ID, they want to take a photo of you, and if anything untoward happens afterwards... Um, you know that is a requirement for entering those establishments. Um, yeah, I, m- I must admit, my my instinct to
0: this is that it's um, it's basically um, identification cards by the back door, um, and that uh, if we wanted to spend 180 million pounds on something, there are so many other things that we could spend it on. Um, some of the argument that kind of went along was 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 talking about. Um, how people don't trust the voting process um and it kind of mm. tried to draw in the um the, the kind of the the examples of the accusations of of mal voting malpractice in the United States. but to be honest, it, you know if you're excluding the derange the stuff that came from Trump um you know then you, you know at the end of the day um I think there are some historic um accusations I think it was Simon Bocher that made about um about voter uh, about dead apparently dead voters, obviously not the actual dead person themselves, but someone voting on behalf of a voter that was dead um, yeah. um, I, um, in in elections his, historically. So, yes, there are kind of ways that all of those things can be kind of um, can be brought up. But again, it's about our voting mechanism is from the 19th century. Um, yeah, it's the 21st century, we, you know, a pencil on a piece of paper might be unhackable. Yeah. But it also doesn't ref- reflect the world we live in.
1: No, uh, and again, I, and I guess, and I'll say it before you do, which is that, um, you know, the the last attempt the government to get a an app to work in terms of track and trace, it didn't come in at 180 million, did it? It was uh, a little bit over budget from that. So, yes, I mean, for me, you know, look, it, it seems. It seems so 19th century to wander up at a church hall and say, I'm Brian, and so is my wife. And somebody with a pencil and ruler then runs there down the list and finds you by your address and draws a line through you. You know, that just feels, ugh. but but it almost feels like 180 million to get us to 1984 where you've got an identity card, I'm not sure that's the greatest use of resource. No, but again, is that just
0: another government IT system that they balk at the idea of updating it because it's so expensive, but it just gets more and more out of date and more and therefore less and less um, useful um, um, and more yeah. and more irrelevant um, as time goes on. So, Because innovation happens, right? um so uh, yeah so uh, I, I find it kind of interesting i think i this is one where i part from the party on in the sense of i i actually um i've been to briefings from demos i've been to you know stuff like that at um, lib dem conferences and yeah i'd be concerned if there wasn't free voter id available um but that is what happens in northern ireland where they've had a the requirement for voter id for quite some time um yep doesn't seem to have been a massive issue there. As long as it is accessible for people to be able to apply and get this ID and the ID is freely available and that doesn't disadvantage anybody, uh, then that's great. So for me, the concern would be what about the percentage of the population that, don't, that can't go online or don't go online that don't may, perhaps necessarily have some form of ID because they're not me funny, traveling isn't in their, isn't in their future anymore. Um, yeah. And, you know, they don't, they don't have kind of a valid passport and they don't, they, you know, they don't drive or they have an expired uh, driving license. So there, there are probably some people, and I think the stats that Gerald Vernon Jackson uh, um, used in response to um, what Councillor Atkins was saying was that if um, if the Electoral Commission found that between 92% and 97, 96% of voters had some form of the ID that's going to be suitable, then that means something like between... Um, um, oh, where's my note? Is it 1. Four and eight percent. Yeah. Yep. So something between one point nine and three point eight million people in this country won't have that. Um, so it's making sure that there isn't anybody that's disadvantaged uh, from that. But in and of itself, is that robbing democracy, or is actually the point that Councillor Heaney made about the government wanting the ability to to um, uh, basically to wing clip its own re- the electoral regulator? I'm more concerned about that if I'm honest
1: yeah yeah it, it, yeah. it, it it's a who polices the police conversation isn't it and i i I think that you know again the voter i d thing i can't get i can't get upset about because it it just seems it, it just seems part of modern life that you you should you know for for so many things you need to produce photo id to prove who you are and that you're eligible to take part so yeah how did the vote go um
0: so the uh, vote for that one uh, 21 for 10 against four abstained ah uh, so passed yes so that passed um so so we're going so we're
1: going to write to the government to and tell the going government to say, not
0: to do the thing that the government said is their policy to do and the
1: government are going to mm, no yeah du- duly noted yes. is, is that one is that one going to appear on an election leaflet do you, do we think i don't i don't know oh, that it's the they... thing that people get that excited about electoral no. reform is
0: not what gets people out of bed <laughs> it's what gets a load of lib dems no. really excited but the rest oh, of the they public love it, don't they no they. Yeah. they it, it doesn't look at look at the pv yeah. um you know referendum anywho um yeah. so that one uh went, went on. that way uh 15c um brilliant motion uh from councillor tom coles um sharing uh sharing his personal story about the impact of um his uh teenage diagnosis and support um of adhd but then when he became an adult that utterly fell away and he had to fight for years to then get that diagnosis again as an adult and get the support um, that he needed, um, so that um, that motion about supporting adults with ADHD uh, was unanimously passed. Um, so uh, great motion there. Um, 15D insourcing. So um, Labour motion uh, basically um, about asking the um, s- asking for the council to, as a um, as a first port of call uh, when any any contract comes up for renewal, um, to consider um to consider actually bringing that in house. Um now, oh, to save us a bit no, of time I w- I it. won't I won't play the clip, but um
1: but from a pres- no, but come on. You want me to play the clip? <sighs> no, we'd that's okay. not play the clip. Um, so this is this this is doubling down, isn't it? Oh, uh, well, so so last election the, the 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 labor manifest or the local labor manifesto was absolutely, you know, there their, their, One of their flagship policies was, we insist that the council pays every single worker the living wage, even if that worker is working for a subcontractor or an outsource provider. And the council said, can't do that. Can't make the outsource provider pay them that. And if we did that in a oneer, it would be a x million pound shock to the system and the only way we could do that would be by cutting services elsewhere so it isn't going to happen didn't stop the labor group kind of perpetuating that so now they've gone still further to say not only do we want the uh, the the council to insist that the subcontract but we we end subcontracting and we bring everything in house and um, we well, see that's the interesting
0: thing is that it seems that Different people seem to interpret this motion in a different way. Um, so the motion was uh, proposed uh, by um, George Fielding, uh, the leader of the Labour group, um, and he comments there about outsourcing not delivering in its promise to um, that competition would be a driver of efficiency and quality um, improvement and innovation. Um, that the Institute for Government and Association of Public Excellence um, have quoted large levels of data um, showing that um, lots of councils are bringing services back in uh, with um, with a uh, report from the APSE uh, showing that 77% of councils plan to bring back services in-house um, and that between 2016 and 2018 220 local government contracts were brought back in and 78% of local authorities believe insourcing has saved money um, while well, more than half said it's improved the quality of service while simplifying how it's managed. Now what took place in the chamber Mm. was actually kind of an interesting kind of either a either an interpretation of the motion, so either that's a criticism of actually how the motion was written, or a deliberate interpretation of the ro- of the motion along ideological lines. Um, so the Lib Dems yep. had put forward a motion to include, uh, sorry, an amendment to include the, the third sector. So, for example, voluntary um, organisations like The Hive or like uh, Pompey um, uh, Moving On Project um, would also be considered uh, because there are third sector alternatives rather than actually just bringing stuff in house um yeah there was lots of um intervention from uh council uh, member you know from uh from councilor norton kind of listing um you know listing uh, sorry, how about um, Scott Peter Harris? Sorry, um, citing his professional sector experience and kind of questioning whether is the council really going to get into you know paying four grand a pop to give Gas Safe engineers their certification? Um, are we going to do all of those things? Are we going to be exposed to the fluctuations of you know copper and steel uh, prices that are going to affect um, purchasing for um, household um, the repli- you know budgets in the household replacements? Um, um, and but also it was it was interesting that Councillor Atkins uh, made the point that. This is a bit kind of sixties, seventies, eighties, isn't it? Um, and have, haven't what we've discovered, and even even we, he said, the, the conservatives have discovered that actually privatization doesn't work for everything, um, and um, the existing conservative government aren't exactly the most Thatcherite of governments. Um, sorry, the right leaning kind of fiscally prudent Thatcherite governments, um, and in fact, anything. Um, you know, that's perhaps why they're so popular and probably doing what Blair did. And perhaps the Labour group, quote unquote, should stop being so Corbynite about it and so absolute, um, like the unions are about it. And these things are kind of absolute. But what the Labour group continued to remind uh, the the members was that that wasn't what they were saying. They weren't saying it should always be in-house. What they were saying is that actually at the start of a tender process that the council do put in enough people and resources to realistically to be able to explore the possibility of bringing something in-house if that is the best solution. So does that mean that the other groups were misunderstanding the motion on purpose or does that mean that the motion was worded to allow that interpretation to take place um, or is it odd that the Lib Dems, Labour, and the Conservatives all had a different interpretation of what the motion meant? But weirdly, they all broadly agreed that there wasn't a one-size-fits-all solution. And it was even Councillor Atkins, who is fair to say isn't isn't a card-carrying socialist, um, who, who, no. who 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 um, you know who was saying that you've got to kind of find the right thing. Um, and I think uh, it was Scott Peter Harris that was talking about the, the flexibility of, of the solution but yep. the proposition itself was it was kind of wrong that it, you need to make a decision on a case-by-case basis so it's it, yeah it's a, a and there was all there was also contributions from uh, both Councillor Boscia and yep. councillor Symes um, uh, but um, councillor Frisakli were kind of rounded things quite not up quite nicely by saying that usually we all make speeches and they don't really make a difference because we all effectively come here with our minds made up or being told what which way we need to vote by our parties. But actually, I've listened to all of your relevant points um, and I've been swayed. Um, and I'm not going to vote for the amendment that my party's um, put forward. Um, and that basically, it all comes down to flexibility. Um, he's He said that he was going to ex- um, um, abstain and, and what he said was, it's probably a wimpy Lib Dem way out of it, but I've been swayed by the debate, quote-unquote. So but it was and just weird that's that, never a bad... yeah but it was weird that actually the aside from the ideological claims of the politics actually what people were saying wasn't that far apart it's just a shame that they couldn't they couldn't find a way to meet in the middle
1: no but post match i've seen an exchange between a labor councillor and a lib dem councillor which which was so along ideological lines it it was the Lib Dems were against this because they don't want to pay you know they don't want better terms and conditions for the people working for the council and and so I think any claims that oh no no this wasn't an ideological motion I I, I'm sorry but I think that's disingenuous I think this was an ideological motion and and it, it it you know I, I, I would agree with Councillor Atkins that it's back to the 70s and 80s demarcation of labour nonsense where, you know, you, you've got one of the advantages of outsourcing is you outsourced a very big organisation that have lots and lots of people that can can surge when demand is high and can put their people elsewhere when demand is low. And it's not a one-size-fits-all, and it's not always the perfect situation. But to to bring everything back in house, where you know you, you've got you know you've got very well-paid council employees who will be sat there waiting for something to happen. Um, yeah, it's
0: a nonsense. So, um, so the amendment fell. Uh, with 8 voting for and 18 against uh and then the motion um as originally submitted um that uh then fell with 10 voting for 15 against and 7 abstentions
1: yeah and 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 for me look and this is where the ideology of what well, do you want people to have different you know you want them to have better pay terms and conditions and it's what I touched on earlier about this tension well the answer is yes well if you bring a service in and you pay the individuals better pay terms and conditions that comes out of the council's budget so hooray for those people the downside is that the council's got to cut that money from somewhere else and that means a reduction in services and i think this this double think that portsmouth labour have which is that you know all of the all of the people on low wages can and should be paid more and magically the money will be found from somewhere i I just i think it's so disingenuous and it, it, it this is five star leaflet fodder isn't it
0: um
1: well it, it was interesting that rather than subsume an amendment
0: that that the the labor group said that wasn't needed um and therefore allowing it to get the support and pass does it work electorally does it does it you know to to a certain member number of their audience their constituents does it play better for them to be able to say basically oh look the big lib dem the big awful lib dems and the conservatives kind of ganged up on us again and didn't allow us to do what we wanted to do um but actually when you listen to the debate in the chamber when you weed that out of it there was a lot more agreement than there was disagreement um yep. and that's the, that's the sad thing is that almost because of the politicisation of the point a a reasonable compromise wasn't made and i think that's kind of what what councillor prezacky was was yep. saying um was that there was a, there was actually a, mi- a missed opportunity there um but there we go yeah.
1: but which there's always going to be if if the, you know, if, if the purpose of your motion is to, you know, it's almost, you know, I, I'd even go further to say, well, actually, did they want it to pass? I, I'm not sure that they did. I think there's more political capital out of it being tabled and rejected than it than there is in it being tabled and accepted. Um, oh, that's deeply cynical. Um I think it is. But, but to be honest, Simon, and this is where you know, again, I I'm cynical because before the labor published their, you know, Portsmouth labor published their their manifesto last year, that point on all workers should receive the full, you know the full living wage had been to council, had been rejected. All of the working out had been shown as to why it couldn't pass, yet it still appeared as a manifesto pledge.
0: Well, that, if that's their manifesto pledge, then if that's what they, you know, at the end of the day, if that's their, if that's what they truly believe, and they put that as a manifesto, and then people vote for it, then they've got a mandate to push for it. Um, I'd argue, but also that was that was secured for a year as part of the budget amendment yes so so in a sense although although it didn't pass council motion in the end they did get their way
1: partially yeah so well to be honest Chump, just looking at the clock time has run away with us
0: yes so yeah we've got do we want to quickly um talk about the constitutional review and the local plan
1: I think the, I think it's picked one of the two. Okay. The local plan was a was a lively one, wasn't it?
0: Um, it it was, but we did a lot of line up for we did a lot of line up at the beginning of the episode for both. <laughs> so um, it feels. But I, you know, what should we do? We could ask our listener.
1: Well, tell you what, as it stands we actually don't have a show planned for next week at the moment. Mm-hmm. Why don't we hold them both over and give them the the airtime they deserve with some other little sprinklings added in to make a to make a buffet of enjoyment for next week's show. That sounds like a good idea. Let's go with that one. You, you've been listening to a meandering version of the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny Morris. And I've been Simon Sansbury. Join us next week for um, the
0: last two parts of that and whatever else we're going to fill the episode with. Um, but also don't forget um, that we're um, that we're also having, um, hu- we're arranging hustings. So we've got our first hustings on April the 3rd, 627, which is a costume hustings. Um, if you want your candidate to be in the hustings, get them to give
1: us a bell. Poke them, prod them, encourage them.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live six twenty-seven PM on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please if you'd like to feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you Alexa play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics podcast
2: Getting Pompey Politics podcast from Amazon Music Alexa play the latest episode
0: Stop. See it's easy